Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Thursday edition of the show, Scoops with Danny Mac. Dan McLaughlin with you as I take you up to Ribs and BK. They had a great visit with Petro. You're going to hear some of that coming up later in the show, but some breaking news with the NFL. By the way, Chip Carey will be my guest. We're going to talk about the Braves and the Dodgers. That is coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Right off the top, COVID-19, Adam Schefter of ESPN. The Atlanta Falcons are shutting down their training facility this morning after multiple multiple positive tests. I believe it's at least four positive tests this morning in the Falcons complex. They are shutting down here. They have an upcoming game against the Minnesota Vikings. And so now all the scenarios that we've been through here in recent weeks with the Steelers and the Titans, with the Bills and the Chiefs, with the Patriots and the Broncos, with all those other scenarios now come into play between the Atlanta Falcons and the Minnesota Vikings. Again, I was told it was four positive tests This morning, I got confirmation that there are multiple positive tests, so the Atlanta Falcons now have to shut down. And I think what the league has always looked out for and watched out for is the fact that they could make do with one positive test. The Falcons had the first player this season, A.J. Terrell, the cornerback, go on the list in season, and he didn't play in that game about two, three weeks ago. He was back after two weeks, but now there are four more positive test. So that would be five positive tests at a minimum in the last two weeks out of Atlanta. And that obviously raises questions as to whether the Falcons will be able to play their game on Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. Keep in mind, of course, that there's already been one game this week moved to Monday night. We have no Thursday night football this week. On Monday night, we're supposed to get the Cowboys and the Cardinals. And right before that, we're supposed to get the Bills and the Chiefs. And the league has used Monday and Tuesday as an area to push back games if extra time were needed. Well, now we've got multiple tests in Atlanta. We'll see how the league decides to handle this particular situation because every situation, while they have similarities, there are differences. But there are multiple positive tests out of Atlanta this morning. And I think it's fair to say that the game between the Vikings and Falcons then would be in jeopardy. All right, they're going to have to shuffle the schedule again in the National Football League. It has hit college football as well. More on that in a moment. Off to baseball, Atlanta Braves did not get the start they needed, nor were they looking for from Kyle Wright. Brutal. Two-thirds of an inning, five hits, seven earned, couple of walks. Kyle Seeger got it rolling for the Dodgers early on. Yeah, you know, that was a big first inning for us. Um, We kind of built off of last night. Um, it was nice to see it kind of translate into today's game, but you know, a lot of credit goes to Julio. He, he sat for 40 plus minutes that first inning and still came out and, and attacked guys and was in the zone making pitches and he did it all night. It was a, it was a really impressive outing all the way around the field. There's a strike to Corey Seager, who's two for two, has a double, a single, two RBIs, two runs scored in this game, had a three run homer and an RBI double and a run scored in his last two plate appearances last night and he just touches one off wow in a dodger lineup that is suddenly absolutely red hot he is the hottest one you've been around it now you know you know what to expect you know the game changes you know you get pitched to differently um taking your walks just as good as a hit you know moving the runners anything you can to help your team win you know and and results come um but at the end of the day, you know, you're not you're not worried about 
your own results you're worried about just making the last out and winning games at the end of the day. So that's what we're here to do, and we're going to try and do that again tomorrow. So the bleeding didn't stop. 32-year-old Grant Dayton hadn't pitched in the postseason yet. The Braves go with Bryce Wilson in game four. Now, he has started seven well-spread games over three big league seasons. His career ERA, 5-9-1. Dodgers may counter with Clayton Kershaw if his back holds up. What this means is that even if the Dodgers win the next two, they still have to face Max Fried in game six. And then we have a series. So, we'll see. We'll see what they want to do. We'll visit with... um, the voice of the Atlanta Braves coming up, and that is the great Chip Carey. Always love visiting with my good buddy. All right, speaking of postseason play and greatness, that is one Randy Arozarena. He's back at it again, a home run, his second of the ALCS. He has hit in every game of the ALCS, five postseason home runs in 11 games. Nine of his 19 hits have gone for extra bases. Even further, he is within three hits of tying Derek Jeter, 22 hits by a rookie that he set in the 96 postseason. 39 total bases already now. 39 for Randy Arozarena. The Rays had the tying run in third in the ninth inning. Couldn't drive him in. I thought, though, this is the key in the game. Dusty Baker leaving in Zach Greinke. Bases loaded in the sixth. Greinke saw something that you just don't see in the game today. He went against analytics. And Greinke, you know what? He loved it. I would say he's really, really good at that. Uh, I've been impressed. He he uh, reads people really good, and I don't think I've ever seen him make a wrong decision when when he uh, when he trusts what he sees. I think he sees he sees the right thing almost 100% of the time. And uh, not everyone has that skill. Not many people do, but he he's been impressive in that regard for sure. Runners go. The pitch on the way, and a swing and a miss. He struck him out. Oh, the riverboat gambler, Dusty Baker, lets it ride. What'd you tell Dusty, at, you know, after after you got a chance to talk to him about his decision and to keep you in and, and you know, trust him? Uh, I was just saying it was nice having someone have confidence in me because, uh, I mean, since I've been, been here, they haven't seemed to have confidence in my ability. So it was nice having... Having, uh, having that happen in an important time like that. Of the 38 previous teams to fall behind 3-0 in a best of seven, only eight avoided a sweep, forced a game five. Of those, three made it to game six, and the only team to win a series after trailing 3-0, I hate to say it, the 2004 Boston Red Sox. We know how that turned out. Nick Saban has tested positive for COVID-19. Well, I feel fine, so I'm not really concerned that much about my health, uh, but you never know. You know, I just want to make, look, I I basically feel like, um, you know, when we're in our own personal bubble here, I think everybody's in a much safer place. I think as soon as you travel, you get exposed to a lot more things and a lot more people, if that makes any sense. Even though I've worn a mask on the sidelines, I wear a mask all the time uh, in the hotel. Um, on the bus, uh, in the plane. So um, I can't, nobody really knows, 
you know, how this occurs. That rocks college football. It rocks the SEC. Paul Feinbaum. The SEC had gone three weeks without a single problem, and it all started unfolding this week with the Vanderbilt-Missouri game scrubbed and obviously the Florida-LSU, but, but nothing compares to Nick Saban. Uh, not only is he the biggest coach in, in this league, he's the maybe the greatest coach of all time in college football. And on top of that, we're three and a half days away from the biggest game of the year in college football as well between Georgia and Alabama. It's a two versus three matchup. And it's a game that many people thought he would lose. Even though he's still favored in Vegas, there are a lot of people that were wondering after Alabama's abysmal defensive performance, is this the first time one of Saban's pupils will get him? He's he's facing Kirby Smart, of course, and now he won't be there. And I I know he put on the the best face uh, he could. I mean, what else are you going to say? Uh, He is asymptomatic right now. But uh, he won't be there uh, unless, it, unless something goes haywire with the testing protocol. And that, that's a really interesting proposition that the best coach in the game will not be in the biggest game. And he's facing someone that knows every one of his moves. And as he said, Mizzou, Vanderbilt already postponed. LSU, Florida postponed. You know, he could coach virtually. I don't think he's going to do it. Potentially, he might do it. Why? Well, he's Nick Saban. Uh, as far as it pertains to Mizzou, it could be a couple of weekends off, depending on what happens with Florida. We'll have to wait and see, but it is starting to now trickle down into the college football world as it pertains to the University of Missouri. If you missed it, terrific visit with Alex Petrangelo yesterday on Ribs and BK. Now, one of the points of the visit was uh, why he was insistent of a full no-movement clause. Now, we talk about the business side all the time for Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues. Now there's the personal side and the business side for the player. And I thought this made a lot of sense. Yeah, I think now more than ever, I mean, there's this is obviously an extreme circumstance with the pandemic. Um, I think we can all agree on that. But sometimes there's, um, you know, things that happen. And I, I, those guys, you know, getting traded, put on waivers, bought out, like, you know, guys that you would never expect, right? So... You want to make sure you can protect yourself in case something like this, you know, ever happens. And I'm not saying that the Blues would have done that to me, but I don't think any of us would have expected this to happen either. So from that standpoint, especially, you know, if I was going to pick up my family and move, I think it was important for me to, you know, have an organization show that commitment so that I wasn't picking up and moving my young family and then uh, something happened. So that was a big, uh, big thing for me. He earned it. He hit uh, unrestricted free agency. He takes care of his family. Done deal. Best of luck to Petro. You can hear that full interview on the 101 website. We'll cross it over with Rivs and BK uh, coming up later. Wednesday, the Golden Knights owner, Bill Foley, shared his thoughts on how the pandemic could affect the uh, coming season. He joined Vegas Hockey Hotline, a show on local radio. Key among those thoughts was his answer to a question about Nate Schmidt, the former Golden Knight, recently traded to the Pacific division rival Vancouver Canucks and he asked about the prospect of his Golden Knights frequently facing Schmidt as a Canuck next season Foley replied yeah but they're going to be playing in the Canadian division this year so what he's saying is that you could have basically teams in Canada playing Canadian teams then they'd separate teams down here in North America so you're trying to mitigate the travel teams don't want to play in bubbles the players don't want to play in bubbles that's something that you're going to see 
Um, also, he said, quote, if we're not playing in front of fans, I don't know how a lot of teams can make it, including us. It's going to be very difficult. Quote, you've got to make a serious financial commitment to fund the team if we're not playing in front of fans. I believe Gary Bettman's not going to have us flying all around and playing in empty arenas. It's going to be another plan. He's talking about January 1st. I don't know, maybe February 1st, maybe an abbreviated season, an accelerated season. The potential for an accelerated season, by the way, was one factor for the club in opting to keep both Mark Mark Andre Fleury and Robin Lendner uh, this offseason, according to Foley, even with two netminders coming for a combined 12 million cap hit in 2021. So that's interesting. He said it's one of the reasons why we were in favor of keeping both goalies. I really felt like we're going to be playing four games and seven nights every week. There's going to be back to back almost every week. So I was always working to keep those goalies in town. The Golden Knights earned a trip to the Western Conference Finals this past season. Interesting. You know what I think about when I think about an all-Canadian kind of division, Dan? Is what about the players that are in Canada? Because you don't want the bubble. You want to be able to see your families. But I think about Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk. Sure. Who both play for Canadian hockey teams. So are they ever going to be able to come home outside of the season? You're just going to have to go visit them because of the quarantine, right? Yeah. Okay. So I feel like for some of those guys, it's like crap. I can't ever go see my family because now I have myself in this bubble situation. So that's just kind of my initial thoughts were on, on, a, on a Canadian division. Okay. Stay at home. Don't have to play? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah I, mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's part of uh, part of business, man. I mean, I, I don't... Is it ideal? No. Is it, uh, but mom and dad can go up there and quarantine if they want. It's a good point. You know, um, it'd be an abbreviated season. So you're talking probably, let's just say for argument's sake, January 1st. So January, February, March, April, maybe playing into May, June. So six months to go make what? A lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, man. Just thanks. That's all. Come on. Yeah. Did you, I, I guess I, I guess the question sign me up. <laughs> I guess the question could become um five million dollars or see not and not see my family for six months or the latter. Well, it's not to say that your family can't come up and go see you. But I guess the same the same argument can be made for a lot of players that play for the blues that are from different countries. Sure. They're not going they home during the here. season. Yeah. So that's that's how it's gonna work. And I, I think too the you mitigate the travel, which is what um I would think is is going to happen potentially, you know, depending on where we are, where we are, maybe with baseball in April, you know, hopefully we've got some kind of therapeutics or vaccine. Maybe there's got to be rescheduling with what they did, like to mitigate the travel with how we had it this year, staying in the National League Central and American League Central and interleague play. Maybe they, they borrow NHL, at least initially, is borrowing a page out of baseball that worked right for the most part and now it's working in postseason play um i think they have to look at that if you're the nhl now baseball's got a little time on their side because they're not starting up until april so we got some time now baseball's got time on their side where the nhl they're up against it you know you're talking january 1st that's not that far away and you're gonna have to start getting teams and players ready so if you're if you're starting to set a schedule, which they got to start doing that, and then you're starting television contracts and who can get fans in the stands and all those things. I mean, it's very complicated. 
But that's one way to do it is to say, okay, where, where can we regionalize this to make this thing work? And then as we move forward, if some of the regions start to loosen up restrictions, getting fans in the stands. I mean, that's that to me is the real issue is is to make the money is you got to get fans in the stands. Right. I wonder if they hold off in the start of the season until there's fans or they open it up with no fans and then gradually start adding them. Yeah, I, I think you could do that, don't you? Yeah, I think that if you start the season to get it going, get it rolling with the hopes of, hey, let's start bringing people back. We have the season started rather than, hey, let's keep delaying the season because then what if, God forbid, you don't get anybody in the stands? Then you just lose those two months that you planned on. I don't think they can afford to do that, especially with the television contracts. So the TV contract, <clears throat> excuse me, is not what MLB has, NBA has. Obviously, foot, football is a behemoth. So you, you're... I mean, it's it's not ideal with right. any of this stuff, but got to get fans in the stands eventually. So agreed. We'll see how it plays out. And uh, but anyway, interesting comments there from the Vegas Golden Knights owner. All right, we'll take a quick timeout. And uh, Scotty saying you better read FanDuel. Thanks for reminding me. You're always on me. You're always on top of it. If I didn't have you here, I'd be not, I'd be in trouble. Oh please, Dan, you're keeping I, me in line over no, here. No, I'm not. But you didn't tell me to put on my glasses. If I didn't have my glasses, I'd really be in trouble. <laughs> More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. You know, obviously he wanted to go out there and, and have a great start. Didn't work out. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, we're still, you know, we're still in a good spot with, um, you know, the four games left, and, and uh, you know, we just, like I say, the whole, as a whole team, we just turn the page and get ready to go tomorrow. Here's a fly ball into right center field, back at the wall, it is gone! Grand slam, and the first inning is historic. 11 runs on the board for the Dodgers. As they are just dropping bombs here in the first inning on the Atlanta Braves. You know, you just got to turn the page. And he was a good, you know, I talked to him and, and it was just, you know, it's one of them days. I mean, you have them. It's, it's more amplified, I guess, when it's in this situation. But, you know, he's, he's, we've seen what he's capable of. And, and you learn from it and, and um, turn the page. Chip Carey on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and let's welcome in the voice of the Atlanta Braves after the Braves were thumped in Game 3. They still have the lead 2-1 in the National League Championship Series over the Dodgers. And Chip, one of my best friends in the world, and covering the National League Championship Series for Fox Sports South. Chip, always great to hear your voice. Hopefully you're safe and healthy and things are going well. How are things going? Everything's going great. Last night's game, notwithstanding, Danny Mack, hopefully the Bravos can rally, take a 3-1 series lead if they can beat Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers tonight. Yeah, that'll be the key, you know, how his back holds up, obviously how the Braves come back. But uh, do we know whether or not that uh, Clayton Kershaw is going to go tonight in game number four? What are we, what are we hearing about that? Yeah, we were told late last night after the game, uh, Dave Roberts said that Clayton Kershaw is a go for game four. He will pitch against the Braves today. Look, historically, the Braves have uh, have faced Kershaw. They haven't beaten him. Uh, they've had some trouble with him, but they've given him a good game, and I think that's going to be very important, as you said, for the Braves. How do they bounce back uh, from an absolute disaster from Kyle Wright in the first inning? 11 runs, 
he couldn't get out of the first inning. Uh, a kid that had pitched so well in his last three or four starts. And really, if you look at it from an analytical standpoint, uh, this is where it gets a little dicey for the Braves. You've got Bryce Wilson pitching in game three, excuse me, in game four tonight. Uh, Wilson's a guy that has not thrown a major league pitch since uh, September, uh, late September. Uh, he's only had a handful of opportunities to pitch at the big league level. He's got a good fastball, good slider. He's a football player and pitches with that football player type mentality. But he hasn't seen a lineup the likes of the Dodgers. And let's just look ahead. Let's say L.A. wins this game and evens the series. Well, now the Braves have gone through their four starters. Uh, they're probably going to have to have a bullpen game in game five if Wilson pitches five innings, as many expect him to try to do today. Or do you bring back Max Fried on short rest, then Ian Anderson, then what do you do game seven, which would be Kyle Wright's turn. So uh, the lack of starting pitching depth for Atlanta, which has been a problem for them all year, is really rearing its head now. And this is where Braves fans really hope Wilson can give them five. They can get a lead against Kershaw, turn it over to the bullpen, and follow the formula that led them to winning the East all uh, over this 2020 season. I want to get into Marcelo Zuna. What a year he has had for the Atlanta Braves. And he had a terrible spring, but then almost goes out and wins the Triple Crown. What's it been like watching Marcelo Zuna this year in 2020? Well, I remember, Danny, you and I had a conversation about that when the Braves signed him. I remember us talking about how surprised we both were that the Cardinals didn't bring him back for what, by today's standards, is a mere pittance in salary. Uh, But that said, uh, the Cardinals saw what Ozuna is capable of in the playoff series against the Braves last year. When he's healthy, this guy can hit anybody, anytime, anywhere. And I think that's the big key for Marcel. His shoulder has been healthy. Uh, Look, he's not a graceful outfielder. He does what he can do on the bases. Uh, but this guy can flat out hit. And he was a perfect complement to uh, Freddie Freeman batting behind him. And look, in Atlanta, we were all very worried about what would happen with the absence of Josh Donaldson. Who was going to protect Freeman in this lineup? Well, Ozuna has done that and more. And the decision of Brian Snitker to shuffle his lineup again for Atlanta uh, really paid dividends. You recall Freddie Freeman for years has been the number three hitter on this team. Well, they have Acuna first. They move Freeman to the second spot and Ozuna to the third spot. And it's been... Uh, a danger, danger, Will Robinson, for opposing pitchers right out of the gate. So Ozuna's been great. Uh, he told our front office expected year he's delivered that, and uh, he bet on himself, and I would imagine he's going to be a very coveted free agent at the end of this uh, postseason in Major League Baseball. Is he the kind of guy, Chip, and you've been around this game a long time, that he benefits from being a designated hitter, not being a primary left fielder, right fielder. He's played center field. He's not a great outfielder. We saw that in St. Louis. But, you know, to focus just being on a guy that's an offensive-minded player. Yeah, I think so. I I think that's the case. And, and, and Danny, you know, you've been around forever, too. That's not an easy role for guys that are used to being everyday players and playing on both sides of the ball. I'll give you an example. Chipper Jones and Freddie Freeman, both the number three hitters for the Braves, faces of the franchise, absolutely hated and hates being DHs. They can't stand it. Freddie does not like it, doesn't want to do it, has no interest in any part of the DH. In fact, you have to drag him kicking and screaming away from his first base bag with his glove and almost grab him by the collar to make him sit down and take a day defensively. So, yeah, I agree 100%. I think Ozuna has really helped himself in that case. And if baseball keeps the DH, which I personally think they will after the season, uh, that opens up a whole new market for Marcelo Ozuna because you've got 30 teams bidding for him, not 15. I, I'm pulling for Brian Snicker. I, I pull for Mike Schilt. I pull for guys that have spent their life on a bus in the minor leagues. Tell me about Brian Snicker, a guy that does have some local ties here in terms of what he did in, in high school. And, you know, he, he's he's a baseball lifer and probably does go against the grain, especially when you have to do bullpen starts and those kind of things and will go against analytics at times. So what's it like with Brian Snicker trying to win this thing? 
Uh, Brian Snicker is one of my favorite people of all time. I think, Dan, you and I are, are kindred spirits in this regard. Midwestern people, I believe, really gravitate toward people who are human beings first. And there is no more compassionate, caring, nice, genuine person than Brian Snicker. There's very little filter. What you see is what you get. There's no agenda with him. Uh, to your point about being a lifer, this is a guy that spent 43 years in the Braves organization, a guy that for years was a great lieutenant for Bobby Cox and other managers in Atlanta, was unceremoniously and unfairly sent to the minor leagues under a previous administration because they wanted one of their coaches to sort of spy on or keep track of what was going on at the major league level. And after 30-some-odd years, 35-plus years, Brian could have said, the heck with this, I'm going somewhere else. He didn't. Uh, he did what an organizational man does and did what the organization told him, went to Gwinnett, developed a lot of these players, who then got to the major leagues. And I think that's really the big key to his success. You know, be careful what you wish for. When Brian went down to AA and AAA, a lot of these guys were coming through the Braves system and developed a great relationship with him, knew what it was like to play for him. And when he took over as the interim manager for Freddie Gonzalez in 2016, to a man, every single player on that team said, this is the right guy to take over this team. And if you remember those 2016 Braves, they were awful. I think they used something like 38, 39 different pitchers that year. Brian Snitker, with a staff like that, almost guided this team to a 500 record. Uh, went 70 and 90, 72 and 90 the year after that, flipped it around 90 and 72 in 2018, and the rest, they say, is history. So uh, for those of us who know and like Brian and appreciate him you know, out of Macon, Illinois, uh, we really hope that the Braves can continue to progress, continue to do what they do. And to his credit, as you said, he's been more than adaptable as he adjusts to the game's changes. Uh, he understands that that's the way it's going, and you either adapt or die, and he's more than willing to adapt, and I think the Braves have benefited greatly from that. Chip Carey is my guest, and he is the voice of the Braves. i, I got to ask you, what's it been like for the players and their families in the bubble? What, what have you heard about that in terms of postseason play and, and dealing with, uh, you know, just, just trying to get this thing done and get through it and, uh, and having their families down there with fans in the stands? I think that's the big key, Dan. Uh, look, you know, heck, uh, those of us who are independent contractors have pretty much basically had to quarantine ourselves from everyday life, including our families, to get through the regular season. That's no different than the players. They had the added wrinkle of traveling and having to stay in their rooms for 11 days in a 10-game road trip. And fans might say, oh, they're staying at a fancy five-star hotel. That's all fine and good, but you can't get out. You're stuck. You have uh, one release, and that's to go to work. Uh, and that's really what we all have had to deal with. I think uh, the different ballpark is exciting. The different venues exciting. Having the families around, having the kids around, I think takes some of that pressure off. I guess in some ways it does. It may be more pressure because they have their days occupied more with family obligations. But from what I'm hearing, I think it's gone off without a hitch. And uh, I'm so proud of our sport for being a leader in finding a way to find a way to live with this virus. Uh, I think uh, this is the last stat I read, 40 days, and there have been no positives in Major League Baseball. Uh, that says a lot about how seriously everyone's taken this, the wonderful work that the medical people have done, uh, the teams themselves taking this seriously, and all the preparations that have gone into making sure we get the playoffs underway and finish. That's a remarkable feather in the cap, and I think an encouraging sign that we're all learning how to live with this disease instead of learning to live in fear of this disease. What do you think of fans in the stands? What's that been like? I love it. It's about time. It's long overdue. Uh, I think uh, in talking to the governor of Georgia uh, about a month ago, uh, he had been hoping that we have fans in the stands during regular season games. But obviously, Major League Baseball and different rules and regulations in different states for, for their myriad reasons prohibited that. Uh, but the players have noticed it. Dave Roberts commented on how different it felt to actually have people cheering and yelling. And you know, If you hear in the background of our games, you're hearing fans doing the tomahawk chop, chop, uh, chop and the Indian chant and all that stuff. Uh, it's pretty jarring for them because all we've heard is fake noise. And to a man, what I've heard is 
we hate the fake noise. We love having the fans in the ballpark. And look, I think you would agree, Dan, you're such a great broadcaster. You get this. We do what we do for the fans and we de- develop and derive so much energy from their energy at the ballpark. And when those big moments happen and 50,000 people are screaming and yelling, uh, you can't help but get that emotional rush. And I think that's something that was missing for all of us. And I'm glad to see it coming back in the postseason when it matters the most. I'll wrap it up with this. Freddie Freeman, is he the National League MVP in your opinion? Hands down, no question. Uh, whether you lo- use the uh, old fangled stats or the new fangled stats, he's first or second in just about every single one of them. Uh, when you have players like Bryce Harper saying on national television that Freddie Freeman is the most underrated and underappreciated player in our game, uh, that speaks volumes to me. Uh, Freddie Freeman's the first gold glove first baseman in the history of the Braves franchise. Uh, he does it all. He hits second or third every day. He's in the lineup every day. He's great in the community. Uh, he's been here through the lean times. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he does it all. And best of all, Dan, he's a really good person. Great husband, great father. I'm sure your fans have seen the videos of him playing wiffle ball with his son, Charlie, uh, when the Braves aren't uh, on the field. Uh, he's one of my favorite people in the game. He gets it. And yes, I think he's the MVP and it'll be an award that's uh, long overdue and very well deserved in my opinion. Hey, Chip, great to catch up. Good luck tonight. And uh, hopefully we see you guys in the World Series. Thanks for doing this. Anytime, Dan. My pleasure. Great to hear your voice again. That's Chip Carey. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. This is an opportunity for us as an organization. Uh, We've obviously been somewhat insular in terms of our managerial hirings over the last several years. Uh, This is an opportunity for us to speak to individuals with other organizations that have had success uh, and learn from them and and get their sort of outsider objective perspective on our organization. Ultimately, I think the best candidate or the ideal candidate is going to be someone who has experience with a championship organization in, in recent years. Recent October experience with the championship organization would, would be ideal. Uh, but we're going to keep an open mind. And, you know, we're, over this next several weeks, we'll diligently pursue who's on our list and uh, go from there. Rick Hahn, and he is running the managerial search of the Chicago White Sox. I've been asked a ton about this. Tony La Russa is 76. He gets permission from the White Sox to have the chance to interview for that job because they had to get that from the Angels. He works for the Angels. He's involved in the Nashville project to land an MLB, uh, a Major League Baseball team. He's a Hall of Famer. Hasn't managed since 2011. Did I mention he's 76? And I'm not trying to disparage anybody that's 76. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are 76 or older that have a ton of energy, but they're not managing major league teams normally or coaching in the NFL or running a football program. I mean, it's tough. I was on with Ribs and BK yesterday, and they asked me about it, and I said, well, you know, one of the things that first came to my mind is that I know I'm exhausted when we get off a plane at 6 in the morning, and you got to go broadcast or play a game or manage a game at you know six at night that's just a hard thing to do and i know how tony the russo does it he grinds through it there is no stone unturned and he would not you know let that happen scotty he, he would he wouldn't say well you know i'm kind of tired i'm not going to look at this one stat or i'm just i'm going to take a little break here he, he's there is not a chance he would do that 
No way. So he's going to go in. If he's going to go in, it's going to be full bore. Now, the kind of staff he would assemble would be awesome. I think he would mix in youth with experience. With he himself being the most experienced of the bunch with his resume. But it's fascinating. It'd be fascinating to see what he would bring to the table. But with the core group of the White Sox, would that be a nice match made in heaven between Tony and these young guys like Robert? Got all these guys, man. I mean, there's so many. Yes. Madrigal, Kopech. I mean, think about all those guys that are all around my age. And he wants to come back into the game where he hasn't been managing in the last nine years. He's been in the game of baseball, like you said. He hasn't been managing with all of the new advanced metrics that have came so far in the last nine years. But he is using them in the front office, I'm sure. I just feel like it'd be tough. I I think that he was at the forefront in a way, while it wasn't on a spreadsheet of computers, it was Dave Duncan kind of doing it with his big book of what he was doing in the dugout of advanced metrics in a way um, of saber metrics. He, he kept a, a huge, huge book of how to pitch to Scott. Okay, we face Scott. Here's what we did against him five years ago, four years ago, so on and so forth. Um, by the way, Tony is bilingual, which communication wise would be easy for him. That's a great advantage. So he would command the room easily because of his resume. I don't care what a guy makes. That doesn't matter if you're making the league minimum or you're making 15 million. He would get your respect immediately and he would command it. Believe me, I've seen that happen right off the bat. And I don't think it's a five-year contract or anything like that. I think it's just like, hey, we're going for it. And I bet this is just me off the top of my head. I, I bet they would get a young protege type, like a Joe McEwing, a, a guy that's really close to being a major league manager, and put him by his side and say, okay, here's kind of the manager in waiting, but we want you to be the bench coach to Tony and say, um, okay, you know, you're, you're there with Tony. We want you to be the guy maybe in waiting, but, you know, it's Tony's for a year or two. And then Tony's going to, you know, step aside. But we, we're going for it because we know we're so close. I think it's great theater. I think it'd be great for baseball. I would love it because I love seeing the guy manage. And there's no doubt he can manage a bullpen. There's no doubt he can manage a team and get him to the promised land. And, you know, for people that think he's out of touch, he's not. He's he's in a baseball stadium just about every night um, taking notes, talking to managers. He talks to Mike Schild almost every day, if not every day. He's talking to Joe Madden with the Angels every day, giving his notes and his assessment of the teams and the young players. So I'm, you know, to say that he's not at the forefront or at least understanding sabermetrics, that's not, it's not true. He is. What does Tony have to prove to come back? What, what would what would he be proving to nothing? Anybody or anything? Nothing. I, I that's I don't think that's what it's about. I know that's a logical, good question. I don't think it's about proving anything. I think it's just something that. He, well, let me let me take it back. Maybe he wants to do this for Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry gave him his first shot, and he says, man, um, I want to do this for you. You gave me my shot. Let's bookend this thing together. 
let's do it. Anyway, something to think about, and it'd be fascinating, and I'd love to see it. And why not? Think outside the box? That's thinking outside the box. It'd be fascinating. It would be. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Ribs and BK coming up. Uh, I thought your interview yesterday with Petro was fantastic. And I had Chris Rabia in studio a couple of days ago, and we talked about business side of sports. And he brought up a really interesting point to me, and I thought he hit yesterday what was the side of this that has not been hit is this pandemic has hit him too. And he's like, Hey, I got to take the best deal for me and my family. And he did it business side for him too. And that's the way I've approached this whole thing is that, Hey, if a player hits unrestricted free agency, as much as a fan wants to see him retire here, I'd love to see him retire here. It's business. It's just the way it is. I think in St. Louis, this was a microcosm of what the NHL is facing as a whole in terms of this no movement clause. I mean, you're now seeing all over national reporters talking about, hey, this is a going to be a big thing in the NHL. If you remember a few years ago, St. Louis was also the hotbed for the opt-outs. Remember when yeah. Jason Hayward had his contract with the Cubs? That was something that the Cardinals did not want to include in their contract for him. And the Cubs were willing to. And so that was at least part of why he ended up in Chicago. Now, it didn't matter because he didn't live up to what they were hoping early on. And so he didn't opt out. But Uh, I think the same thing is happening right now with the NHL. We're seeing teams are a little hesitant to go that far. Certainly here in St. Louis, uh, Doug Armstrong does not want to give out the no movement clause. And Alex Petrangelo wanted it. And so he wasn't going to sign a contract unless he got it. And he ended up getting it in Vegas. And the signing bonus money is is crucial too um how about coming up today on the show there's some interesting comments from the uh, the vegas owner i'm sure you guys are going to get into that absolutely we've got pete DeBoer, actually the head coach for the vegas golden knights he's going to join us coming up at 11 15 joey vitale at 12 30 and i want to get into comparing this cardinals outfield to the other outfields that we're currently watching in the postseason we'll do that coming up next all right looking forward to it ribs bk scotty great job that's next on 101 espn you have been listening to the tv voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.